So what makes us right with God? The answer is that our heart has been made new. And not only that, but it's been made new by Jesus Christ, the only thing capable of giving us a new heart is Jesus. Welcome to the Reach College Podcast with your speaker, Pastor Taylor Gaff. Okay, so the question is, what makes us right with God? Is it going to church, getting baptized? Is it morality? Is it knowing a lot of Bible trivia, being fascinated your friends at sword drills, right? So Paul has started Romans, and he's basically been saying, okay, he starts Romans by saying Jesus is what makes us right with God. Jesus, not, not any, any of the other stuff, not any of the extra layers, just Jesus. That's what makes us right with God, Christ alone. And this, uh, what, he, what he then moves on to is he starts ripping apart all of the possibilities outside of Christ. He's basically going to say, okay, it's Christ alone. And here's how I'm going to show you it's Christ alone. And the first thing we see is, is he moved on right to why we need the gospel. He was like, it's Christ alone because you're you're getting worse naturally. You're not getting better, right? You're st- you start off bad, you get worse. So he's, and then as he illustrates that need because of sin, he then transitions and he starts saying, okay, uh, you're also not justified because you agree with God. And this is kind of like to the moralist, right? And the interesting thing is, as he transitions in this, he's talking about all mankind needing God because of sin. Then he moves into, you're not right with God just because you agree on what's good and evil with what God thinks is good and evil, right? And now he begins to square up directly on the Jews, right? So it's been transitioning that way, but now he basically just is going to focus his attention for the rest of chapter two on Jews and on what they think makes them right with God. And... uh Basically, he's going to ask this question. Do you think that you're right with God because you're Jewish? Do you think that that is what's going to get you in with God? Uh, And and you got to remember, we're not dogging on being Jewish, right? There's a lot of benefits to being Jewish. And Paul is well aware of all of these benefits. Um, They were the only ancient people that had the one true God. They were chosen by the one true God. That was a huge benefit right off the bat, right? Um, they were given explicit instructions on what behaviors God did and didn't like. They didn't have to guess. They didn't have to navigate that. They knew exactly what God wanted and what he didn't want. Uh, they were promised to bring about the Messiah. They were going to bless all nations. And on top of that, on top of bringing about the Messiah, they also were going to have first access to him, right? And probably should have been able to recognize him the fastest because they had the promises given, the prophecies pointing to him. So when he came about, they should have been the ones to say, oh, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. We found him, right? And then on top of all of that, they were given an outward ceremonial seal to show that God approved of them. 
circumcision. That was, in the ancient, in the ancient world, that was the Jews' outward expression of the fact that God had chosen them special, right? Now, what was the purpose of all this? Like, that's a lot of good stuff. So what was the point of all of these things? Well, for one thing, it was to cause them to worship God, to praise Him, because uh, among all peoples, they were chosen. They had the one true God. That was a huge blessing. The other purpose was that they were supposed to bless the entire world. They were supposed to uh, bring about the Messiah and point people to God by the fact of their very existence and the, and the way that they acted. They were also supposed to be an example of what a righteous and holy nation looked like. When you looked at the, the Israelites, you were supposed to look at them and look at the surrounding nations and say, this is very different. There's something different about this people group. What is it? And the point was for them to say, oh, you want to know why we're different? It's because of our God, right? That was the purpose of them being special. But ultimately, they missed it. Instead of worshiping God, they began to worship that they were Jewish. They began to worship their identity as God's chosen people and not the God who chose them, right? So they they miss ultimately what God was doing. Um, if you've ever been like, okay, so like say in kindergarten or first grade, they, they might give out like, uh, you know, a gold star if you did something well, like if you did something right. What if like you came to church and it was like, right as you walked into Sunday school, Brittany just put a gold star on you. And then like on your way into service, like, she, like somebody else put a gold star on you. And if you'd already been baptized, they just give you a third gold star. And it's like, if you sang loud in worship, they gave you another gold star, right? And, and like, what would be the purpose? Like, the, the goal would be that you then, like, you go to lunch, and you've got, you're just covered in gold stars, and somebody says, what's with the gold stars? And you go, oh, man, I got to go worship Jesus today. Do you know about Jesus? Do you know who he is? And you get to, you get to draw attention to all of these gold stars and go, actually, this is just representing the God that I worship. And the fact that I spent all morning just being with him and loving him and praising him, right? What if instead you you came to church for the purpose of collecting gold stars? You were like, I'm going to walk into the sanctuary twice so I get two gold stars. Like, I'm going to collect as many gold stars as possible. And then you went to lunch and your, your waiter or waitress was like, what's with the gold stars? And you went, well, I go to church. You might say I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> And, and then on top of that, the Jewish attitude went, went even a step further because it went, it went kind of something like this. Well, I went to church. Clearly, you didn't go to church today because you're at work, right? Not only were they building themselves up, were they making you know what they had outwardly really to point to themselves, but then they were actually being derogatory and prideful to everyone else in the world who wasn't them. They totally miss the point. Anyone ever uh, do Awanas growing up? Who, who in here did Awanas? Okay, if you don't know what Awanas is, it's like our Wednesday night child program. Uh, they play games, they get told Bible stories, and they memorize verses. Um, it's been a long time since I was in Awanas. But last I remember when I was there, if you memorize verses, you got Awana bucks. And if you got enough Awana bucks, you could go to this like table full of like knickknacks that your parents were going to throw away, and you could <laughs> trade in your Awana bucks, and you could get these knickknacks. Um, I had two buddies 
that got a hold of like two or three uh, Awana $5 bills. Did anybody see the the $5 bills? I never like memorized enough verses or like saved up Awana bucks long enough to have a five. But my friends got a few fives. And they went into the church copier and they printed oh, yeah. Awana bucks. And then they, they cut them out. <laughs> so uh, they, they manufactured, instead of the Awana bucks representing and reinforcing their good behavior, they found a shortcut to produce their own, for the sake of the analogy, their own righteousness, right? This is what the Israelites were doing. The Israelites had figured out a system to mimic righteousness, to produce righteousness, but not to actually be righteous. They missed the point. They were counterfeiting righteousness. So what makes us right with God? The answer is that our heart has been made new. And not only that, but it's been made new by Jesus Christ, the only thing capable of giving us a new heart is Jesus. So let's look at what Paul is going to say about being Jewish. Um, he's going to start off and he's going to give a, a picture of what I've called the perfect Jew, right? What, what should the perfect Jew look like? Now, something we got to talk about, Paul's going to give us this picture of the ideal Jew and something we need to understand is the difference between the law and the law, okay? Because he uses these terms interchangeably in the text, and if you and if you don't hone in on the context of what he's saying in each specific place, it's easy to miss uh, that every time he says the word law, it does not mean the same thing. Okay, that's and that's key. Um, think about it like this: um, Let's say your parents give you a rule, and they're like, "Don't punch your sibling in the mouth," and you're like, "Okay." I'm not going to punch my sibling in the mouth. I will never punch my sibling in the mouth. And you hate their guts your whole life. You just hate them, hate everything about them. Do you think that meets the intent of your parents' rule? Like they were like, as long as you don't punch them in the face, I don't care if you absolutely hate them. No. Your parents give you that rule not to punch your sibling because that's an outward manifestation of you hating them. They don't want you to hate your sibling. So here's the key. God has given us a set of regulations in the Bible. But following the regulations by the letter was never the point. The point of the regulations was to teach us who we're supposed to be on the inside. Right? It's to teach us that we're not supposed to go around hurting others or hating others or taking advantage of others. It was to teach us to love God and it was to teach us to love others. So Paul is going to jump back and forth, and some of the time he's going to be talking about the letter of the law, the regulations, the actual, the, 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 the numbers one through, it was like 613 regulated laws that the Pharisees had. And then other times when he says the law, he's going to mean the law of Christ to love God and love others, which was the intent of the law the entire time. So everyone look look at... Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and distinguish the things that matter, 
being instructed from the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to people who are blind, a light to those in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, possessing in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. Okay, so he begins to describe this person, this perfect person. I want you to see what happens. He's going to start with two things that they would have thought given. Like every Jew is these two things, right? So what does he say at first? He says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely upon the law. So what he's saying is, do you call yourself a Jew? And they're like, of course I do. I'm, of course, I'm, so I'm proud to be a Jew. And then we said, oh, and you rely upon the law. Like, Absolutely. I keep the law. I follow the law. The law is, is what makes us special. That's why we're better than other people, right? So he's going to start with these two just dead givens, right? And then he's going to slowly start this like uh, this downhill slope, or I guess he's going to slowly start raising the bar, right? So the first thing he's going to say is, oh, and, and you boast in God. You glorify him is what that means. And that would have caused a pause because it would have been like, uh, yeah, well, you, of course I do because I'm Jewish, really they were glorifying being Jewish, right? So so that causes kind of a like, well, yes, of course I glorify God, like a hesitation, right? Then he says, and you know his will. He says, oh, you so you know God's mind. You know what God thinks. And that would have been, now the bar raised higher, and they go, uh, well, I, you know, I guess we know God's mind. What did they think they knew about God's mind? That the only thing that mattered to God was that you were Jewish. <clears throat> That's what they thought knowing God's mind was, right? Then he moves on. He says, and you distinguish the things that matter. In some of your Bibles, it might say you test the essentials. This is to live out God's will, to live out God's will. So you know what God's will is and you live it out. And he's saying, how do you live it out? And what they're saying is that they're instructed by the law. They are keeping the regulations by, or they are looking at the regulations, and that's what's teaching them how to know the mind of God, keeping all the rules, right? So the circular thing that's happening here is that they're being instructed not by God, but by their own regulations, okay? And as he begins to, um, to go through this, then you see how the progression is actually going to get, uh, it's going to get way worse. Because as soon as he gets done saying all this, he says, okay, and then because of that, you are, you're the one that's the teacher and the light to people. Like, wait, wait, what? And they said, and, and because of that, you're the one that corrects the foolish. Like, well, yeah, I mean, I try to because I'm Jewish and Jews have the law. And then he says, oh, and you're the one that teaches the immature. See how this is getting shakier? And then it gets to the final one. This is the one that they can't even, this would have been a full stop. They cannot get on board with what he's saying. He says, and you, you are the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You're the light. You're the teacher. You're the embodiment of knowledge and truth. And in this moment, they followed him as this bar keeps getting raised. And they're going, well, I mean, you know, and, and at the end of it, it's almost just like, well, I'm Jewish. Great. That's great. So you meet this whole list. You found it. And you found it how? Because you've been instructed by the regulations that you're keeping. That's how you figured out how to know the mind of God. That's how you figured out how to live the will of God. And here's the interesting thing. Did Jesus keep all the regulations? So he did. The interesting thing is they didn't think he did. Why? 
Because the regulations that Jesus didn't keep were the man-made ones, were the ones that didn't reflect God's law, right? So they thought he didn't keep all the regulations. He knew God's intent by the law, which was to love God and love others. And so he did keep all the regulations, God's regulations, and he fulfilled the intent. Check. So Jesus has done this, right? And then Jesus is the one that we are instructed by. So I want you to see this. Okay. We are, the, we are instructed by Jesus. Jesus lived perfectly loving God and loving others. Do we always live perfectly loving God and loving others? No, we don't. That's also not the point, right? Jesus did it for us. And then check this out. Jesus becomes the light in you. Jesus is the one correcting the foolish. Jesus is the one teaching the immature. Jesus is the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Jesus has done all of these things for you. So the loop for a Christian is right here, back to Jesus. And because you're in Christ and because he is in you, you are credited through your faith in Jesus with all the things that he has done. See what happened here. The Jews, they believed in the regulations and they were credited with nothing. But as a Christian, you believe in Jesus who has done all of these things and they are all credited to you. See how that works? You are now able to accomplish perfection, not because you're out here doing all this stuff, it's because Jesus has already done it and you are in him. That's the picture that Paul is giving them. All right? So the what I want you to see here is that the gospel is that Jesus substituted these things for you. You don't you're not running around chasing holiness. Ch- like you you are responding to the fact that Jesus did that. We mimic him, but the reality is if it was on you to do it, how many of you know you've already failed? And it doesn't work like retroactive, like, well, starting right now, I'm going to be perfect. Well, too late. Like, if you ever sinned before now, it's done. You're, you've, you're a sinner. That's it. Your fellowship with God has been broken until your fellowship with God is reestablished in Jesus Christ, who never sinned, who was perfect. So there's a loop outside of ourselves that leads to Jesus in our case. And what Paul is saying is that the Jews, their loop was internal. I follow the regulations, so I'm all of these things. And anybody looking at that list, even the Jews, they would have gone, ah, I don't think I'm all of those things. Right? It would cause pause. So now he's going to move from what this ideal Jew looks like, and he's going to move on to the actual you, who you really are apart from Christ. Uh, Were any of you stopped coming in today and they like, they were like, all right, pull out your, your log for the week. Show me if you have any sins. Like, no, right? We, didn't, we don't stop you from coming in because you have sin. But that also means that getting in doesn't prove that you don't have sin, right? No one's looking around at you today and like, that person came to church. Probably no sin in their life, right? That's not the way that works. We're not checking you know, sin logs at the door uh, or else none of us would get in. I don't think anybody had a perfect week. So the key here is that the key here is that we need to see that our that our attendance to church 
is not what proves us holy, right? It, it, being here doesn't just mean like, oh, like I made it, like I'm in church, right? And what, what Paul's going to demonstrate in this next section is, do you think, oh, you're, you're a Jew, so you're holy, because if you look around, are there any Jews sinning? Right? So if you come to church and you're like, I'm holy because I'm in church, and then you look around, do you think everybody else around you in church is sinless? Because if not, then the activity of being in church isn't what caused you to be sinless. Because it hasn't caused everyone else around you to be sinless. So Paul's going to demonstrate that for the Jews. He's going to say, are you sinless because you're a Jew? Look around you. Are there no Jews committing sins? doesn't work like that. So look with me. Look with me at... Verse 21. You, therefore, who teach someone else, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one is not to steal, do you steal? You who say that one is not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who loathe idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. For indeed, circumcision is a value if you practice the law. But if you're a violator of the law, your circumcision has turned into uncircumcision. <clears throat> okay, he starts this phrase. I love this because you've got to see the transition. He just got finished walking them all the way to, you are not the embodiment of knowledge and truth. But he's doing it sarcastically. He's like, oh, you're the embodiment of knowledge and truth. And then the transition is this. You, therefore, must be sinless. If you've achieved this level of perfection, you must have it all figured out. You're holy, right? So he, he launches into this, uh, now this showing that they actually themselves have sin. He says, you keep the whole law. <clears throat> now, I was a little bit confused by this accusation because he says like, okay, you say, you know, don't do this, and, but you do it. Well, here's the thing. I'm most critical of the sins that I don't commit, right? Because I don't want to point out the sins that I'm, I know I'm guilty of, but I'm going to look at somebody and say, Say, I can't believe they do that. Like, I'm so much better because that's not my struggle, right? So I was a little bit confused as to what he was saying was, why was he saying, oh, well, you say don't steal, but you steal? Well, what I realized is that this is a group allegation. He's saying, you're perfect because you're a Jew, and you say don't steal. Any Jews around you stealing? Well, if Jews around you are stealing, so what then that you're a Jew? It hasn't kept you all from stealing. It's a group assertion. He's saying you're not perfect and you don't keep the whole law. And then this leads to an easy conviction of personal sin. Okay? Because as you begin to see this list, even if you're like, you hear the first one, you're like, I, I absolutely say don't steal. And he says, are there any Jews stealing? What good's being a Jew? But then as he moves through the list, there's like bound to be one of these sins that you go, mm-mm. I've kind of done that one. And then all of a sudden you have personal conviction, right? What did Jesus say about sin? Jesus said that sin was in your heart, right? So when we see Jesus talking about murder and adultery, this is like my favorite reference because he says, um, okay, you say, uh, you say don't commit murder, but I'm telling you that if you hate people, even though that hasn't manifested in murder, you've broken the law. He says, oh, you say don't commit adultery. Well, fine, you haven't committed adultery, but... If you lust after someone just because that hasn't manifested all the way into adultery, you're still guilty of adultery, right? Jesus says your sin is internal to you. I want you to hear this language. Jesus in um, in Matthew chapter 23, 
This is what he says. He's talking to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like the whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. You, So you too outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Those are pretty harsh words. God is saying, Jesus was saying in that moment, He was saying, you can, you can whitewash the outside all you want, but if you haven't fixed, if your heart hasn't been made new, If you haven't dealt with who you actually are on the inside, nothing on the outside counts for anything. It doesn't help you. And what do we see here again? You haven't been perfect. You haven't kept the whole law, but Jesus has. Jesus has done both of those things. So once again, you are credited. You are forgiven of your sins, and you are credited with keeping the law. By the way, the true law, the intent of the law, because you believe in Him who did it perfectly. That's the whole point of the gospel. That's the good news. The actual you could never accomplish this. But thank goodness, that's not what this is about. It's about putting your faith in Jesus who has already accomplished this. And then he's going to go on and he's going to say, uh, when we live like hypocrites, that's what verse 24 is talking about. It says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's saying, when you live like hypocrites, you're the one that causes God to be slandered. Right now, understand this. Hypocrite is not what we, we tend to think. At some point in your life, you've heard somebody accuse all Christians of being hypocrites. That's not, that it's, it's a false argument because a hypocrite would be to say i'm perfect and then go out and sin right christians are actually saying i'm not perfect i need jesus so then when we sin that's actually not hypocritical now that would another way to be a hypocrite which is would be to say i'm trying to chase jesus and then going out into the world and not trying at all like literally just running off in your sin and living in your sin then coming back on Sunday and being like, yeah, I love Jesus. I'm trying to chase Jesus. Like, that's hypocritical, right? But if you are walking in true Christianity, true Christianity is not, I'm perfect and then failing. It's, I'm not perfect. I actually fail all the time. It's Jesus who's perfect. That's why I'm not a hypocrite. So at this point, he's saying, you, you Jews, because you say you're instructed by keeping the regulations and yet you're not perfect, you don't keep the whole law, you're the reason God's name is slandered among the nations. Because they look at you, who's supposed to be this example of righteousness, and they say, you're hypocrites. You're not living right. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. What has Paul just done? He's, he's ripped away the last piece of any hope in anything apart from the gospel. You're definitely not getting to heaven just in the void of yourself because you're getting worse. You're not getting to heaven because you agree with God's morals. And you're not getting to heaven because you 
perform a regulation, show up in a place, we're born to a certain ethnicity. It doesn't work like that. That's not how you're saved. You're only saved, you're only protected by believing on the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to look at, I want us to to dive a little bit deeper into understanding the law here. I want to make my point clearer. What is the law? In 1 Corinthians 7.19, it says this, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Well, isn't one of the commandments to the Jews to get circumcised? So in that verse alone, it says, keep the commandments, but circumcision and uncircumcision don't matter. Why is that? Because in Galatians 6.2, it says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? To love God and love others. That is the whole point. That's the intent. It's not because you're at church. Why do you come to church on Sunday? Hopefully it's because you love God and love others. right? If you're here to, to get gold stars, you've already missed it. You've already made, you've already, you're here for the wrong reason. The actual you can't get to God, only Jesus can, right? First, first Peter 3.18 says, um, Christ also suffered for sins once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Jesus died so that he could take you with him to the Father. He suffered in your place so that you could be with God. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the whole point. So then the question remains, how do we become the spiritual few? How do we become the spiritual few? It's not by being the perfect person, and it's definitely not who we actually are. So how do we make this transition to being spiritual, to being in Christ? The world is going to tell you a lot of ways to do this, right? A lot of ways that you can get to heaven, right? Have you ever uh, heard that analogy where it's like a mountaintop and the top is where God is and there's all these different pathways to the top? Not true. I'll just tell you that right now. The, the world does not have an alternative for how we get to God, right? There's no way except through Jesus. He said he is the way. And how is that? Because he makes our hearts new. He takes from us the corrupted hearts that we have in sin, and he renews us in himself and in his perfection. Okay, look at verse 26 with me. So, if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will his uncircumcision not be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who though having the letter of the law and the circumcision are a violator of the law? Paul is saying that conduct prevails over doctrine. Conduct prevails over doctrine. See, faith is expressed in action. Uh, now, you need to understand, this is where that, that context is coming in with the law piece, right? Because uh, some of your Bibles might actually translate this. Uh, he says... Um, he says, uh, if you keep the law, some of your Bibles might say, if you keep the requirements of the law. Okay? Now, the reason I like that better is because what's the requirements of the law? To love God, love others. That's the point. 
So he's saying it's not the letter of the law or the regulations. It's the requirement of the law to love others, right? That's how we see that difference that he's painting. Even though he keeps using this word law, he's talking about its intent versus its regulation, its letter, right? Um, now, listen, I know that, honestly, I'm, I have this analogy that I go back to over and over again, and it's jumping out of planes. But the more and more I think about it, the better and better that analogy seems to me. So if you hear it a thousand times when you're talking to me or when you come to listen to me speak, I'm sorry, it's the perfect analogy. So let's talk about jumping out of planes for a second, okay? If I'm, picture life is a plane that you're in, but not just any plane, it's going down. Like we're in a plane wreck, right? And you have a parachute and somebody has told you, hey, that parachute will save your life. It, it will save your life. All the intellectual understanding of, of that in the world will not save you if you don't jump out of the plane. You go down with the plane, then knowing that the parachute will save you doesn't help. You die with an intellectual understanding that Jesus will save you. Nothing has happened, right? And here's the thing. When do you start feeling good about jumping out of an airplane? Not until after the parachute has opened. You, you don't, it, no matter how much you know that the parachute is going to open, it, it is terrifying until it actually opens. But do you know what's done when the parachute actually opens? Faith. It doesn't require faith to believe the parachute is going to open when it's already open. And sometimes we're sitting on the plane of life that's going down and we're going, uh, once I see that the parachute is open, I'll jump. That's not how it works. Now, here's the thing. Action is not faith, but faith necessitates action. It has to be lived out. There's no other way to do it. Because, again, just believing that the parachute is going to open doesn't get you out of the plane. You're going down. You have to actually jump. And, and the beautiful thing is that the more times I jumped out of planes... It never stopped being terrifying. I never stopped having to believe that the parachute was going to open, but the credibility of the parachute opening every time I jumped made it more bearable. Every single time I jumped, I said, well, I've jumped this many times. The parachute's always open before. So even though I'm terrified right now, I believe the parachute will open this time as well. That is the process of sanctification in your life. Are you getting resaved every time? In, in the parachute example, you are. Every time you jump out of the plane and the parachute opens, you've been resaved by the parachute. But the, what happens in your Christian life is that the first time you ever jump, God proves to you that he has saved you. He snatches you up. And then for the rest of your life, as you re-experience the gospel, he's building credibility that he has saved you that the parachute will open. See, the, the other difference is that there is a potential that your parachute doesn't open when you jump out of a plane. There is never a potential that Jesus does not save you. That's, is, is, that's, not, that's not possible. Still a little bit possible every time you jump out of a plane that the parachute fails. It's not the same parachute every time either. That's another, let's, let's take that analogy a little further. Has to be the same Jesus, one and only Jesus. You can't jump Jesus's like there's not like different, you know, way, like there's one Jesus. 
right? That's the only one you put your faith, your hope, your trust in Him, and He will always save you. That's the way it works. Look at verse 28. For He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but He is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and His praise is not from people, but from God. <laughs> circumcision by the Spirit. You know what that phrase means? That means that the Spirit is cutting sin out of you. It's cutting sin out of you. I want you to understand this. The Spirit enables you. Okay, Jesus has kept the law for you. He's been perfect for you, but check this out. You can actually keep the requirements of the law to love God and love others, not perfectly, and you because you're being circumcised by the Spirit. That's the whole point. This is leading us right back to here. The Holy Spirit, that come, when you believe on the name of Jesus, He fulfills all of these things as a substitute in your place. And then the result of that is the circumcision by the Spirit, the cutting out of sin in your life, the action that is necessitated by faith, that then begins to manifest itself in loving God and loving others and being instructed by what? The example of Jesus Christ. You are mimicking Him and you're becoming more like Him. And if we go back a, a, a chapter, we see that without Jesus, you are going the opposite direction with no chance. There's only one way to go. What happens is that the Spirit, the circumcision of the Spirit is that your heart is being made new. Circumcision was not the covenant that God had with His people. Circumcision was the ceremony that represented the covenant God had with His people. It'd be the same thing if you got baptized and you were like, good. Like, got baptized, saved. No. The baptism is an expression of what God has done internally. He saved you, so then you respond by getting baptized. They missed the point. And what I want from you guys is, is don't make the same mistake. The good news is that you are not chasing all the stuff in that mental column that Jesus already did. You're responding to the fact that He did those things. The good news is that Jesus has already obtained your righteousness. Like, I, I don't know if you've ever... Uh, I had a guy in my office one time, and he was he was trying to talk to me about... He, he didn't know the gospel. He I shared the gospel with him. He actually went home and talked with a different Evergreen member and got saved that day, which was awesome. But the conversation we had was, well, I try to do good things, but I just feel like I can never do enough good things to outweigh all the bad things I'm doing. I'm like, yep, that's the first half of the gospel, so we can skip to this. Like, that, like he, he nailed it. He couldn't do enough good things. And that's the point. You can't follow the regulations. You keep the requirements of the law because Jesus already did it perfectly and His Spirit is enabling you. That's really good news. That's like incredible news. Because if it's up to us, we're drowning in these requirements. Honestly, 
there's a in that same chapter of Matthew I read, Jesus actually says the Pharisees put these uh, weight, this weight on people. I won't lift a finger to help them. You know what he's talking about? The weight of 613 regulations that no one could keep perfectly. They were leveraging it on to people like you got to do all 613 of these things. And if you don't, you're not going to heaven. And then A, not helping people, so not loving people. And B, it was a, it's a weight that's unbearable. We can't keep all the, all the rules. We, we cannot do it. And the good news is that we don't have to. Jesus already did. So the question is, is your heart being made new? Or do you have a gold star mentality? Are you just trying to collect this kind of outward appearance that makes you look good? Because you might fool people on the outside, but you will not fool God. He's not going to be impressed by all the gold stars you can accumulate. He is looking directly into your heart. So don't print your own Awana bucks. Don't counterfeit righteousness. Trust in the name of Jesus. I, w- I want you guys to understand something. You know that Jesus wants you to be in heaven? Like, like wants desperately for you to be in heaven. So much so that he actually set aside his prerogatives to be God, was tortured, mocked, and brutally murdered so that you could go to heaven. He did all that because of you. He saw you specifically, and he wanted you to go to heaven. That's the good news. And part of that good news is that you don't have to spin your wheels your whole life trying to earn it. Now, out of the gratitude for it, my life has changed. I'm better today than I was yesterday because I'm responding to the truth that Jesus Christ has saved me. But I'm not better today than I was yesterday because I just tried real hard. That's not it. It doesn't work. guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor of Young Adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and the sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.